Hey, Anthony, it's that time again. To infiltrate the Oscars with our movie on how to save a mockingbird? Yeah, yeah w- wait, no. No, not at all. Then what? It's time to make the podcast. Oh, 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 oh yeah, that thing. Once again, we have reached that time of the week. Time to dive into the movies we love and the movies we wish we could forget. Pitting them against each other to receive praise uh, or hatred. Based on a scale of our choosing. So let's jump into it. This is the Double Feature Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Double Feature Versus. I am Anthony. I'm Brad. And today, um, kind of got something that's uh, a long time coming here. We, uh... We had planned when we first started this podcast to do like a double feature battle royale between all the nominees of uh, the Oscars 2020. But since that time has passed and the pandemic has already hit us, um, we kind of forgot about those movies. So we're moving on to uh, the battle royale of the Oscars nominees of uh, 2021, the best picture noms. Yeah, which these actually got a lot of nominations everywhere else across the board as well as best picture so mm-hmm. yeah i don't think i would have i don't think i wanted to do that 2020 list to be honest in retrospect i they had some pretty good ones marriage story 1917 and all that but i don't know if i wanted to watch those again yeah yeah the 2020 list was uh or the Oscars 2020 list was a little bit different than this year's. This year's actually held more of like uh, theatrical films that you could know more people would hear about than just the Oscar bait kind of here. We made this one so we could win an Oscar kind of movies. Well, I think there are some of those in this list too, but I hear there are some, but we also have, like uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, we have mm-hmm. Promising Young Woman, The Trial of Chicago Seven. Uh, so we have some that I wouldn't count as Oscar bait in any regard. It's just they happen to make it into the Oscars. Trial Chicago Seven. I don't know, man. I think that has bait written all over it. But really? we'll, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. We'll, we'll get into it. Um, so let's start off with the. Uh, the winner, the winner chicken dinner of it all, Nomadland. Yeah, so this is uh, directed by, uh, written and directed, edited, oh, edited, edited, produced by Chloe Zhao, Francis McDormand. Um, I like this picture. This is, this is a slice of life picture that, this is one of those films that if it gets nominated, you're happy with it. If it doesn't, you just wish people would see it. You know, the fact that it won surprised me. Yeah, I can say, like, out of the lineup, this one winning did surprise me a lot. And I'm curious to... I haven't actually watched the Oscars to see, like, why this one won or anything like that or why they felt that it won versus others because typically they release some kind of information saying, like, why they went with that decision. Mm-hmm. So well, I have to... There's a voting process, isn't it? It is a voting process, but typically people that voted for it will like come out and anonymously say, you know, we felt that this was the better picture due to this, this, this kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I hear what you're saying. So with this one, we got a, a woman that becomes um, a nomad, so to speak, and travels the country once. Um, she does all this after her husband, um, you know, 
unexpectedly dies. Well, not unexpectedly, but he, he dies from a, um, was it cancer? Uh, I think so. I think it was cancer. But anyway, it, it's, uh, she, she's gone through a tragedy. So she chooses to be houseless, so to speak, and travel around the United States, become a nomad. I like this film. I thought it was I thought it was pretty solid. You know, like I said, it's a slice of life film. It's not something you could put in any kind of category. Well, I guess you could put it in drama, but I mean like any kind of category of trying to figure out what I'm trying to say here. I feel like this film was good for what it was. Yeah, it didn't fall into like action. It definitely wasn't like a thriller movie. It was just watching somebody live their life after a tragedy and deciding that they wanted to kind of live off the land, so to speak. And there is some kind of uh trials that they had to go through with that where, you know, they have they're going to get kicked out if they're caught uh, parking in certain places. Uh, I right. like that there was even a segment on them, like teaching how to like drill a hole in a tire so they could use that as an excuse for why they can't leave. Uh, right. There's. Oh, I didn't even. I didn't even catch that, man. I thought they was. I thought they were showing them how to repair a tire. No, it makes that scene funnier. Yeah. So that was because uh, I want to say I might be remembering it wrong, uh, but yeah, it was them going in and being like so whenever they come you can always be like oh i got a flat tire so i can't leave and to make sure that you get a really good flat tire you need to puncture through real well and that's where she was having trouble like getting the hole drilled in the tire right uh so there was that uh i do love that later on she ended up actually having a flat tire and needing a ride to go get a new tire (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah I like this main character. I like Fern. Fern, who is the main character. I like Frances McDormand's portrayal of her. She's a woman that is stubborn, but she's not stubborn to the point where you don't like her. Right. You you like her. You want her to find what she's looking for in the world, and you want her to be happy. She's a woman that um, she prefers to do things like her own way. But it's, she's not without empathy of others in the way other people do, do do other things, if that makes sense. Yeah, she's very much, I want to do things on my own. Uh, I don't want help kind of thing. But right. she's not going to you know, be like, I only want to be alone. She still likes having the company of others and stuff like that. But when it comes to like major things, she wants to do it herself. I got to say, with the side plot of her and... Um the possible love interest of, uh, I think his name was Dave. I think his name was Dave. Yeah, um, Dave, who was another nomad. He's a man that's um, also divorced. I think his wife died as well. But you can you can see, and I like that the film doesn't do it all the way because it's not about that. You can mm. see that there could be a possible love interest between them. Like Even towards the end, he explicitly says, I want you to stay with my son and I and my daughter-in-law and, you know, like, I, I want I want you to stay with us. I want you to be safe. And she chooses to um, continue on in the end. I, I like that the film doesn't do that all the way because it's not about that. I wouldn't be mad if they did because Dave seemed like a good guy, but I'm not mad if they didn't go that way. 
Yeah, but it also, when she goes to his house and everything like that, and she's there, she feels out of place. She, she doesn't feel like this is a home for her. She feels better off on the road and everything. So I'm like that they didn't pull like a total 180 on her character at the end to be like, here, she gets a happy ending where she's with this guy now and she's living in a house. Uh, especially since the entire movie is about her, you know, coming to terms with everything that's happened and kind of deciding to take this new path and she wants to see it through. And I like that they actually have her see it through instead of being like, oh, here's a safety net. Let me just grasp onto this because that would have not felt right for her character that we've seen for the rest of the movie. It wouldn't have felt right. But I'd argue that she felt more at home there than she did at her sister's. That one like was for sure, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I feel like she she was a little at home with Dave, but it wasn't at home to the point where I'm gonna drop everything and just stop here. Right. Yeah. You she know? definitely. You can see the contrast versus when she goes to her sister's and she just does not feel welcome there at all. <laughs> yeah, I gotta say, um, before this film, Chloe Zhao wasn't on my radar. Um, after seeing this, I'm thinking about watching one of her previous films, The Writer, which has some um, positive reviews. And, you know, she's doing Eternals for Marvel. Yes. Yeah, that's what surprised me is uh, when we were looking over this list, I was thinking, I recognize her name, but why? And then the Eternals uh, popped up on Wikipedia and I was like, oh, that's why I recognize her name. I like that big name studios are giving these independent, critically acclaimed directors a, a shot. I think that's very interesting. Oh like yeah, the way, yeah, like the way Ryan Coogler got Black Panther or Taika Waititi got uh, Thor Ragnarok. I like that studios are taking a chance. Or even James Gunn with uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Like a lot of people yeah. look at these directors and go, "Oh yeah, those are big names," but. Before their Marvel movie, they weren't. They were more of like the indie kind of movies. James, you know? Gunn. James Gunn was kind of big. James Gunn was not as big as he is now. James Gunn now has the Fair star enough. power to go into a studio and go, this is the movie I want to make. And they'd go, yeah, okay. Uh, he couldn't have done that before. Like he couldn't have gone to DC and gone... I want to do what I want with this movie, no intervention, and then have gone, oh, yeah, yeah, that's totally fine with us. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, James Wan for Aquaman, which was an interesting choice to me, but because we know James Wan for horror films, but yeah. it turned out a great job with it. Um, yeah, I, I like that risk of being taken, but overall, man, I like this film. You know, it's a great slice of life movie. I give it a four. Four out of five. Yeah, I, I can say this one, it's a slice of life movie and everything. I didn't enjoy it that much. I definitely say it's a good movie. I don't think it should have been the winner, personally. Oh, yeah, we'll get into that. But I don't, yeah. I, I'd give this one a 3.5 out of 5. Fair, fair. Um, The next one we got on the list, The Father. Now... One of the reasons I really enjoy this film, before I even get into it, man, this this gives you a shoe in to get a best picture nom, if not a win. Like you gotta have you gotta have four component like for a film like this, four components that are like like you cannot beat it. British as hell, great acting, good film, 
and it, a somewhat intriguing, if not simplistic premise, and you're in the bag. Oh, yeah. You're in the bag. Like, like a film like this, a film like Philomena with Steve Coogan and Judy Dench, you can name a whole bunch of other British films that made the list. They're good movies. Atonement with Keira Knightley and uh, I think Ellen McGregor was in that. Or was no James McAvoy. Those films were in the bag because they had those four check marks. Yeah, and so yeah, they also had Anthony Hopkins in this one, which well, he, good acting. That's what I mean. Yeah, he is just absolutely perfect in this movie. I want to say he got Best Actor, didn't he? He did. He won Best Actor. Yeah, one hundred percent deserved it. Yeah, I know the controversy behind that. Like people, I. I can't fully speak to that yet because I haven't watched Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, but a lot of people were like, why didn't Chadwick get it? Because a lot of people loved Chadwick's performance in that film as much as they loved Anthony's in this. I can't speak to that. All I know is that I saw a great performance out of Anthony in this film. I still got to watch Black Bottom, but this film, yeah, man, Anthony Anthony destroyed it. He absolutely did. And it's one of those things where... I can't think I can only think of one bad performance by Anthony Hopkins and I don't even think it was his Transformers. fault. Yeah. Transformers. <laughs> Transformers the last night. I'm 99% sure he was filming for a different movie and they were just like, "Well, we got this B-roll of Anthony Hopkins. Why don't we just throw this in the new Transformers movie and make it British?" <laughs> I disagree though. I feel like he was having fun in the last night. He was having fun in that movie. I don't even think that was a bad performance. Yeah, it. I I didn't believe into it and everything like that. Uh, he might have been having fun with it and everything like that. I don't think it was a good performance. It's of his. fighting robots. Of course, you're not going to believe into. You aren't going to believe into anything. Oh yeah. <laughs> but no, hold up. Let, let, let's uh, let's let's um, give a brief synopsis of this. So basically, this film is about a man who. You know, there's no easy way to, to say this. I mean, there's no hard way to say this. He's losing his mind. And his he's has he has progressing dementia and his wife his daughter, played by Olivia Coleman, also great in the film, she's struggling as to what to do with him. But the best thing about a movie like this is that you're looking at everything from Anthony Hopkins' perspective. Yeah. Like, you know, what's real, what's not real, what's the truth, what isn't the truth. Like you're you're looking at this from the aspect of a man who actually has you're, you're looking at this as if you the audience has dementia, and that leads to some pretty unnerving moments, like some pretty unsettling moments. And I feel like a film like this it doesn't work without some dynamic acting, and Anthony and Olivia, even the um even even Mark Gaddis who plays uh the the the, the fiance of Olivia Coleman or Emogen Poots as um, the one of the po- possible caretakers. With a simplistic story like this, you need some dynamic acting to elevate it, and this film it does that. Yeah, there's definitely it, even a little bit of a mystery to it as you're trying to figure out what is real and what isn't, because there's right. a couple actors that play different roles, and it plays into the whole dementia thing where he's mixing up who people are. So uh, I like how it wraps it up like really neatly at the end where we finally get the answers to who all these people are because uh, the role of Anne is switches between two people 
randomly throughout the movie. And every time it happens, Anthony always uh, acts, you know, like, this isn't right. You're not Anne. Yeah, I am. Oh, I, uh, okay. Right. And it constantly flips through that kind of thing. Same with Paul, who's played by two different people. And you just don't know because eventually this like random person shows up in the house toward the beginning of the movie and Anthony doesn't recognize him and everything like that. And then he's introduced as Paul. And then a little bit later in the movie, we're introduced to another person looks completely different. And they're like, Oh, this is Paul. Yeah. And it just kind of almost has like that aspect of, if this wasn't like a dementia movie, this would be a great like psycho thriller kind of plot line. Dude, if someone ever asked me what this film was about, I'd be like, oh, um, it's a drama with a disturbing 51st date kind of vibe to it. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, a depressing 51st date kind of vibe to it. That's not a wrong description. <laughs> hey, man, listen, that final scene where he's in the um, he's he, he's in the old folks' home. I don't know if that's the way they. I don't know if that's what they call it these days. But um, he's he's in that home. And he's speaking with the nurse, and he it just broke my heart the way he broke down. Like, man, I I want my mom. I, I you know he he's looking for some type of like you know nurturing in that moment because he he realizes he he says something kind of poetic that I never heard it described that way. But he's uh he says he says I lost my leaves. Or something uh, like a tree loses its leaves. Yeah, I'm losing my leaves and branches. I think yeah. was his thing, and yeah, it like yeah, it, it hits hard. It hits hard, and I feel like that's the one key scene where I'm like, okay, that's why he got the Oscar. Like that's why he got it. Um, Florian Zeller, who who wrote and directed this, this was their directorial debut and it's based off one of their plays this is a pretty good film for a debut yeah this was i mean they got some amazing actors for this debut film uh Mm -hmm. it's so that also plays a huge role in it because if you get the wrong actors even though you have a great script with this one and you have Mm -hmm. a great premise if you had the wrong actors it would not have pulled through as well as it did yeah, this depends. This depends on the acting. Yeah, this one is a very. You can tell that it was written originally as a play, based on like the set pieces and everything like that being all right. taking place in the same kind of area. Right. Uh, but it it definitely relied heavily on the actors to pull this one through and actually make all these scenarios believable, and they just knocked it out of the park. Absolutely. And yeah. made this movie as great as it possibly could. Yeah. With all that being said, if it, if it wasn't for the simplistic plot, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think this is an Oscar bait film at all. I just think it's a great movie with a great simple plot. Um, I give it a four or five. This, this is a four or five for me, too. Uh, this yeah. one... Yeah, I don't think it's Oscar bait at all. It feels like it was a piece made from like somebody's heart of like this is they had to have seen somebody go through this and they were like I got to put this into perspective of from their point of view of what's going on. And even if it didn't get Oscar nomination, I would have the same feeling for this 
and I'd probably be going. Anthony Hopkins deserves some kind of award for that performance. Mm-hmm. So this one is definitely high up there, and I recommend even non-major like Oscar moviegoers check this one out. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and that's that's where I put that. So moving on, we now have Judas and the Black Messiah. If you want to talk about great performances, we got another one right here from uh, Daniel K. I can only, I can never pronounce his last name right. Uh, Kaluuya. I. I honestly don't know, and I don't want to try on that one. Yeah, forgive us if we got it wrong. Um, but another great performance from Daniel uh, K. Another another great performance from uh, Lakeith Stanfield as well. Yeah, when uh, we first talked about doing this episode for this one, uh, I went through like the stars list on each movie and kind of was like, what do I recognize these people from? And this one, right off the bat with the poster, I was like, Oh, that's Lakeith from Atlanta right. and, you know, uh, Sorry to Bother You. And, you know, and I was like, okay, this one I'm definitely going to be able to get behind because he is just a great performer overall. He is. He is. And we also got Creepy Todd from Breaking Bad. Yes, we that got Creepy Todd from Breaking I loved when he just appeared. Now, I was looking at it. I was like, hold on. I recognize him. Why do I recognize him? And then he started speaking and I was like. Breaking Bad. That's how I know him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Um, so Judas and the Black Messiah. This is a film that's about um, the man who betrayed uh, Fred Hampton, who was the chairman of the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party. And uh, the man who betrayed him, his name is uh, Bill O'Neill. So this film, it, it's funny how this film works. One, I'm totally surprised that mainstream Hollywood released a film about Fred Hampton. But it's not really about Fred Hampton. You know, if we're going to be completely fair, this film is not about Fred Hampton. It's the view of Fred Hampton through the eyes of his Judas, Bill O'Neill. Right. Yeah, this is a strange one because, yeah, it does star uh, Daniel Kay as Fred Hampton. But Mm -hmm. he's a supporting actor in this movie. He's not yeah. the lead of this movie. The lead is the FBI informant who is uh, Bill O'Neill, played by Lakeith Stanfield. Right, right. Which is, I, I wish we could just straight up get a straightforward Fred Hampton movie for Hollywood, but I understand with mainstream Hollywood and diversity, things are a slow progression. So we got this. I'm, like I said, I'm really shocked that mainstream Hollywood made a film with fred hampton as the center of the plot not only that but even as like a sympathetic center of the plot too correct like that's a that's a big deal that this managed to make it out and make it to the oscars of all things like when Mm -hmm. you have like the standouts at the oscars where you go how did that get nominated and it's not because it doesn't deserve it but because it's just so out there as something that you don't feel like would normally get the recognition for this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and also, it's also the second of the two films on this list that involves Fred Hampton, including The Trial of the Chicago 7. Yes. So that's another thing. So with this film, um, directed by Shaka King, produced by uh, Ryan Coogler, um, I felt like this film... 
I, I like how it crafts the whole situation as a thriller. You're standing behind Bill O'Neill, who is put in this. I, I don't have a lot of empathy for him, but I understand the situation he was put in through the lens of the film. Um, he's put in this situation where it's either go to jail or betray this man who is like a a, a heavyweight, a god to his black community and bring it a revolution. Mm-hmm. You know, like you, you, you either betray that man or stand by him and go to prison. And knowing Bill O'Neill, when we first come across him, you know, he's a hustler. He's a nobody. And when um, Jesse Plemons, who was also a great villain in this film, approaches him as an FBI agent saying, hey, you either do the time or you uh, help us make this country, you know, great again by taking down this terrorist here. I I like the way this is framed as a thriller. I, I, I like that a lot. Um, but I feel like the way it's framed and the way Fred Hampton is a little limited in this film, it kind of just makes it, it, it kind of just leaves it as it is what it is. Yeah, like, the, uh, there's about, I'd say, a third to almost half of the movie where Fred isn't even really in it uh, because he's in prison during that time. And we get to see Bill kind of taking over that chapter of the Black Panther. So, it, I mean, fair enough, it's not his movie, though. Right. It's Bill O'Neill's movie, you know. But I feel like Bill O'Neill is not as interesting to have at the forefront as Fred Hampton is. Yeah, when it comes to this story, uh, there's definitely an interesting story with Bill O'Neill being like an FBI informant. And those scenes where we see him being an FBI informant are great. But then you have the scenes with Fred Hampton, and they take just a completely different turn and make you go, I want more of this movie. You know, I want to see more of this guy. Bill O'Neill, there's a really cool story there, but it's not as cool as the stuff when Fred Hampton is the center stage. Let me, let me put this into perspective. If you look at a training day or a whiplash, imagine if Ethan Hawke and Miles Teller characters were only with J.K. Simmons' character or Denzel Washington's character, arguably the villains of each film, about like like maybe 1.5 out of, out, of, out of the third of the time of the movie. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't be as great movies. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I understand we see J.K. Simmons' character on Whiplash, his, you know, ferocity and his 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 his, his terrorizing presence through Miles Teller's eyes. We see Denzel Washington's Alonzo Holt's character through Ethan Hawke's eyes in Training Day, but they're with them most of the time in the movie. They still are supporting characters, but they're powerful supporting characters. They're not pushed to the wayside in some scenes because... Well, Ethan Hawke was pretty interesting training day, but Miles Teller and Whiplash, even though he gave a great, great performance, we wanted to see more of how he interacts with J.K. Simmons or how he bests him. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I'm saying all that to say, yeah, yeah, Fred Hampton was kind of pushed to the wayside a little bit because in order to get this made, you know, you have to put it into the mainstream thriller sense of, okay, we're going to look at this through the traitor's eyes. Which is mm-hmm. interesting, but when you look at it from an execution standpoint, you're like, I wanted to see more about Hampton. Bill O'Neill was cool, but I think Hampton should have put should have put in should have put should have should have been put in more. Yeah, I can only hope that this does increase interest in an actual Fred Hampton movie in mm-hmm. the future, 
that could give us the Fred Hampton movie that we want. And then we could also see Bill in there, you know, playing the back role of that one. That's the kind of movie I wanted. Right. And with this one, especially because this one's gotten extremely high praise. So Mm -hmm. I really hope that that can lead to us getting that kind of movie in the future, because I think that would be a really good movie. Mm -hmm. I hear you. I hear you. Um, yeah, man, great performances all around. Stanfield, I mean, uh, Kaluuya, Daniel K. deserved his Oscar. He really put in work. Yeah, he, that one scene where he's giving that speech, like, you can you can feel the passion in him. Oh, every he, single you know, time he gave a speech. There were several yeah. speeches throughout, and you could tell that he was giving it his all in every single one of those. He was taking full, you know, portrayal of the character. Yeah, definitely. Um, I feel like the climactic speech, most like most importantly, like that whole shot where he's up there saying, I am a revolutionary. Like he. Yeah, man, you can tell he he tried. I don't know if something like this is possible. It's probably it probably is possible. You can tell he tried to channel uh, Fred Hampton's spirit and um, whether he see it or not, he succeeded in giving a great performance. Oh, yeah. Um, If I'm going to be real with myself. I like this movie, but it didn't leave that big of an impression on me. The performances were great, like I said, but when performances trump story, sometimes that's a good thing, but most of the time it's better to have it elevated. The father is elevated. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The story is great, but then the acting is also great. The story of Judas and the Black Messiah, I'm like, okay, that was a solid thriller, but can can I give it more than that? Yeah, it feels like two movies kind of mashed together and spliced mm-hmm. together. Because uh, it feels like you have a Fred Hampton movie and a Bill O'Neill movie uh, mm-hmm. kind of spliced intermediately together. I got to say, this is a 3.5 to me. Same. It's I highly 3.5. recommend people check it out and everything like that. But overall, it's a 3.5 to me. There's, Same here. There's... A lot they could have done to fix it, and there's a whole lot that they did right. Yep. Yeah, good movie, good movie. I it's it's a good movie, but uh, three five to me too. Um, okay, this next one I'll let you take the reins. Uh, Sound of Metal. Okay, so Sound of Metal is, I gotta say, I absolutely love this movie, uh, starring Riz Ahmed, who we mm-hmm. knew from uh, Venom which we previously did a review of. Venom, uh, uh, The Day Of, or was it The Night Of on HBO, which is brilliant. Yep, The Night Of. uh, He's been in a lot of stuff, but he plays... Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler, yeah. I was trying to remember. There was one that was like completely evading my mind, Nightcrawler. Uh, The Reluctant Fundamentalist, which is another good one. Um, Yeah, yeah, he's he's been around. He's been around, and he's absolutely great. And in this movie, he plays uh, Ruben, who is a drummer in like a heavy metal band of between him and a girl named Lou, played by Olivia Cook. So right. his girlfriend, yeah, yeah, and his girlfriend. And they recently just got like this big album kind of deal and tour deal, but toward the beginning of it, he starts losing his hearing. And mm-hmm. I love how they continually go back and forth between uh, what he's experiencing and what's actually happening. 
because you mm-hmm. see it yeah. during the beginning when he's like losing his hearing and drumming and everything like that. And doctors tell him that you need to, you know, stay away from loud noises. You need to preserve what hearing you have now and, you know, do what you can. But eventually it gets to the point that he can't hear anything at all. He's basically like 90% deaf. He can hear noise, but he can't make out what noise it is. Kind of thing. The sound design in this film is awesome. Absolutely amazing. Even the cinematography uh, mixed with the sound design was mm-hmm. fantastic in this movie. And so he goes to be at a, uh, what was it? It was a recovery house for the deaf. Mm-hmm. And basically, so it was a, like, uh, what was it? Alcoholics Anonymous kind of a place for the deaf and mm-hmm. mixed with like drugs and everything like that. Anybody that's trying to get over an addiction, but with a focus on people that are deaf so they can actually kind of communicate with each other better. Right, and right. I like how you had the different people that communicate. You had the sign language. You had the computer that would turn uh, speech to text. Uh, you had the people that could read lips and everything like that. And I I can say at the beginning of the movie, when it was just like him losing his uh, hearing and everything like that, I was kind of like, I, it's got my interest, Me too. but I wasn't fully into it. I was a little iffy. I was a little iffy because I'm like, okay, this, this looks like, again, a slice of life movie, which is fine. But I'm like, what's going to keep me intrigued? I, I like Riz Ahmed. I like his performance. He's a charismatic lead. But I'm like, what What else is going to give me that push to say, okay, this film is it, more than what you think it is. Uh, this film, you know, if you're going to stick around just to watch it for, like, your upcoming episode, fine. But, like, there's something more to this. I was waiting for that, too. And what, what was the scene to you that let you know, okay, this film is more than just uh, an Oscar now? So the scene to me that made me realize this was more than an Oscar nom was the first scene of him with the kid in the slide. Yeah, I love that scene. That is where this movie went from like, oh yeah, this is a good like 3.5 out of 5 kind of movie. It's a nice slice of life to instantly going to a 4.5 and then it just kept raising from there as that scene progressed and everything. Mm -hmm. But that was the scene that made me go, this is a perfect movie. This is the movie that I'm so glad that I'm actually getting to watch because up to that point, you kind of see him interacting with people uh, being deaf and everything like that. And he's kind of trying to deal with it, but he's kind of trying to not uh, accept it, I guess, because he's kind of constantly got it in the back of his head that he's going to get this implant and he's going to get his hearing back. Yeah. He has a mission. Right. Um, so he's not taking very much of this seriously at all. Uh, like you see the, uh, who was it? Uh, Joe as yeah. uh, the person that leads everything. He mm-hmm. kind of like tells him how you should like go about your day. Uh, you're not here to fix anything. You're here to just live, you know, take you the moment. Right. And I, I love the idea of like just sit in a room and just sit in silence. 
And if you can't sit in silence, I need you to write. It doesn't matter what you write. It doesn't matter if it makes sense. It doesn't matter if you're just scribbling on the paper. It doesn't, nobody's going to read it. Nobody's going to check it. Just write and write until you can't write anymore and then try and sit in silence. And if you still can't go back to writing and if you need any help, I'm going to be in the next room over doing the same exact thing. I'll say this. The scene that, you know, separated um, separated as a man from the boys to me was kind of late in the game. It's after he um, actually, no, before that scene, when he finally gets the implant and you're hearing him interact with the uh, the doctor and you you hear as he's hearing and he's like and you're like, man, like he uh, he, he really fought for that. And in the end, he only got like one third of what he lost. There's a whole lot of static noise and he can yeah. differentiate different things. He can hear, but he can't hear as great as he once did. He can he can make things out a little bit, but it's like having a very, very staticky hearing aid. Yeah, it's it all like horrible. radio static or it's the sound of metal. Yeah. It's, it's literally the sound of metal. Um metal scraping together. Yep. And yeah, I feel like at that point I was like, man, that's a great, that's a great tragic hero. What am I looking for here? That's a great tragic hero, um, not plot line, but what do you got in when there's different things going? That was like, that's a great tragic hero arc. Yes. Like that one scene where he just, he just, he just, he just hears just a bunch of sounds of metal. And then as if your heart wasn't already broken, you go to the scene right after between him and Joe, you know, great, great performance by Paul Racy, who also got nominated. And he says to him, look, man, I'm listen, I want you to be happy. I want you to have what you have, but it, it feels like you're kind of like, he kind of, in a, in a very nice way, he says to him, you're not as, you don't have the same handicap that we have anymore. So I'm going to have to politely ask you to leave. Yeah. You're seeing this as a problem to be fixed we're right. seeing it as a problem to now live, live with. with. And yeah, yeah, it's it's a tragic thing, but it, it I absolutely love that scene cuz you can see that he literally gave up everything to get this part of his hearing back, thinking this was going to be the solve of his problems. And then it comes out to it's not at all. Uh it, it's barely manageable as a solve for his problems. The solution to his problems is him. And I think he realizes that in the end, like the solution to his problems is him. It's not, um, it, this is how, this is how it all speaks to me. The solution wasn't the place. The place helped him. Of course. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think it was the place. I don't think it was the implants. I don't even think it was his girlfriend. As we realize later on when he goes to see her, and they kind of, you know, break it off. He realizes in the end, the solution is him. Not even the music, it's him. And I feel like that that spoke a lot to me because this is really a film where someone is standing in their own way. Yeah. And even that ending scene where he finally turns off the implants and he finally sits in silence and just takes in the moment. And it's just mm-hmm. like... If, Five out of five. This, there's no way that I could give this movie any less than that. You know, I was struggling. 
you know, when we started this episode, I had in my mind, and I don't think anything on this list is a five to me. I think the highest that anything goes is 4.5. As we're talking about this movie, I got to, you swayed me a bit. I was going to get this a four or five, but it's, it's a five. It's oh, really yeah. a perfect, it's really a perfect movie. It is. And you, you can even look at it and be like, well, it's a slice of life movie like Nomadland. It's not. This one actually has a struggle. This movie has like mm. character that he doesn't want to be in the situation he's in. And he's trying to find that out. And you see him interacting with other people like when he's teaching the kids how to drum. And this mm-hmm. is a deaf school. So he's there to learn sign language. But he's basically one of the only adults there. Everybody else are children. Mm-hmm. And you can see him trying to like interact with them and kind of, you know, take it as he can. And mm-hmm. it, teaching them how to drum with the slow, like, no, 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 stop. Dun, 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 dun. And you can hear like the offbeat of everything else. And you're just like, this is. I, I, I love this. Absolutely every scene of this movie I loved. Yeah. Even the way it starts with the loud music and everything. You 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 get a defining portrait of who this character is. You know, right. punk rock. He's punk rock incarnate. You know what I mean? He he moves literally to the sound of his own drum. And now he has to do that for real because now he has a handicap. Yeah, yeah, this is a very good movie. I, I'll give it a five out of five. Yeah, this it's it's a hands down five out of five for me. I uh, if there was like it's very rare even for like Oscar nominations for me to go yeah five out of five, but this one it, it just knocked it out of the park in every way possible. Even the beginning, which kind of I thought was a slow start when I was watching it originally, it, mm. every piece of that comes into play later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it um it definitely turns itself around. You know, this this is a film that it kind of goes like slow, like it, it goes down like fine wine. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When it first started, I'm like, okay, um, I don't I don't see how this is a best picture nom, but you know, the, I'm I'm rocking with the story. I like the character. I like the acting. Let's see where this goes. And you know, humanity comes through. You know, there's a lot of transcendent moments in it that make you uh change your mind. Yeah, for a movie that. It literally has very little speech in it. They have to show instead of tell, and mm-hmm. they do that wonderfully. You know, this is the perfect example of show, don't tell when it comes to human emotion, uh, grieving, dealing with a problem, and trying to fix it. And that even comes in at the end when he is uh, back with Lou at her father's house, and mm-hmm. he can hear her now. And they can communicate and everything like that, but it's the subtle things with their communication outside of speech that really reside. Like when he goes, we can go back to, you know, making the album again. And you can see her like start to scratch scratch her arm. And this is like preceding a scene earlier where he notes that her arm's all recovering. She's no longer, you know, uh, hurting herself or anything like that like she was before and you kind of see like he doesn't want them to fall into the same habits they were before Mm -hmm. and that's when he takes the decision to leave dude i I was worried that she had moved on to another guy 
because you could see this look on her face going like, I love that he's here, but I also don't love that he's here right now. Right. It, I, I was worried that the party was going to be an engagement party, and I was going to be like, oh, no. But I'm glad it wasn't that. Yeah, I'm glad that they didn't pull any kind of, like, twists and turns like that. You can mm-hmm. tell that they still loved each other, but they weren't good for each other anymore. They had kind of they, moved on to new kind of it being better without each other kind of they thing. Work well with e- they work well with each other, but they're not good for each other. Yeah. So yeah, I get it. Uh, it's I absolutely beautiful. Like in every way, I love this movie. Uh, it's going to be at the top of my recommendation list when people are like, what's a movie that I should watch, you know, just on a Friday night and you know, nothing's on TV. It's sound of metal hands this, down. This was on, yeah. This was on my radar for a while. It was on my radar for a long time. Um, this is like co-written and directed by Darius Martyr. Um, who does a great job. And I also like that um, the story credit um, is shared by Derek C. in France, who made a film I love called The Place Beyond the Pines or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about with Ryan Gosling, Bradley Cooper. I, I love that movie. Yeah, I know what one you're talking about. I feel like you should give that a rewatch because that kind of it, is kind of, I would say, on the same wavelength on this as that there is a simple there is there's a plot to it but humanity shines through in many moments in that movie so but uh what is the next movie on the list i think we can only praise a movie for so long (laughs) oh yeah yeah we were done we were done uh promising young woman so with this film listen 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 i love this movie but it There's one part about it that makes me so angry. I'm like, why? But let's get into it. Um, I had seen, I I, I had already seen this movie. You had saw this for the first time, right? Yeah, this was the first time I had seen this one. I originally passed it because it just seemed like, uh, based on the commercials and the trailers and everything like that, and I still feel like this is the movie that they were trying to present it as, was kind of like this revenge horror movie where this girl was you know uh pretending to be drunk and then she would kill the guys that were trying to you know sexually advance on her and everything and i was just like Mm -hmm. it it just sounds so middle of the road horror movie plot that it, it didn't pique my interest at all see now with something like this this is something that i heard a lot of great reviews about but I never knew what it was about because I, I kind of wanted to say, okay, I like to, I like doing this new thing where I don't watch trailers. Mm-hmm. Like if a if if a, if a director behind it intrigues me, if a if a lead actor behind it intrigues me, then I'll just I'll watch it when it comes out. With this film, I had seen a lot of good reviews about it, just the headlines. I never really read any of them, and it's reviews by publications that I follow. You know, and you kept hearing about Carrie Mulligan's performance and, oh, such a great film and, you know, and all this. I'm like, okay, I'll watch it when it becomes available. And I did watch it. And I I agreed with all the reviews, but it's just something about one part of this film that just makes me so angry. I'm like, why is that needed? Why why do it that way? But we'll get into that. Um, So basically, we have Carrie Mulligan as a vigilante. Um, She is on a revenge plot. To, um, for the death of her friend, 
who was um who was a rape victim and her best friend committed suicide right yeah she committed suicide after she had been raped at a party and nobody mm-hmm. believed her and she was even threatened to uh start denying that it ever happened right so with a film like this i like how it juggles its tone between thriller and comedy like that's not an easy thing to do and um emerald fennel who comes from the writing staff of killing eve she she does that she i think she does it perfectly mm-hmm. in this film like, i really think she does it perfectly i think carrie mulligan you know just nails it as the lead actress uh bo burnham is a very interesting supporting uh supporting lead in this film especially with how his character changes well how our view of his character changes throughout the film where even that is kind of like a hat trick in itself even that is kind of like a manipulative trick that us men can do mm-hmm. you know bo burnham is such a he's such a great guy in the movie you know he what i mean bo burnham like i you know, love that he was because the entire movie is basically her going and finding all these terrible people. Uh, you have Connie Britton. Yeah. Yeah. So it's meeting all these terrible people, including McLovin. I loved him just appearing in the movie for (laughs) like five minutes. (laughs) Right. And she kind of goes, Oh, you're a terrible person. And her, like she's checking off this list and stuff like that. Uh, there was one thing where she was using red and black ink, and I was hoping that was going to come into play somewhere for why she was using red ink for some of the names and some of the mm-hmm. check marks and black ink. Did, that didn't play out to anything. I didn't miss anything, did I? I don't think you did, because uh, I, I don't remember it playing a part in anything. Okay, because I was the we entire time... missed something, but I don't know. Yeah, I was thinking like that's going to play some role in something, like how she... Because she had both of the pens on her desk at the same time. So it's not like she was just reaching for whichever one. It might have still been that. But I felt like there was going to be something to that. And nothing played off that, which is kind of a shame. Uh, but that's also me as like a movie critic kind of looking, oh, that's going to play a part in this. And then when it does it, it's like, can I be disappointed that that didn't play a part in this? Am I just looking into mm-hmm. like the curtains were blue? I think it's a style thing, dude. I think it's a, I think it's just a stylish thing. Yeah. Um. Yeah. One thing I wanted to say is with a film like before I get back on the Bo Burnham thing with a film like this, I kind of was worried that it would become too important. Like I, I I was worried that a film like this with a great message, you know, that's that's against rape culture, you know, um, against you know. The prosecution, the false prosecution of uh, rape victimhood, I guess if I want to put it that way. Um, I like the message behind this film, but I was worried that it would become a film that's like too important that would take away from the fact that it's a great movie. You know, like, oh, this very important movie, you know, it just just like thrown in everyone's face to the point where five years from now, people will probably forget about it and be like, oh, yeah, that movie. Yeah, that, was, that movie had a great message. And then it would just be like bookmarked as just that. Am I making sense? Yeah, I get what you're saying, because there were definitely parts of the movie where it was like, this is going to just be one of those rape is bad kind of movies, isn't it? And it's like, yeah, everybody knows that kind of thing. Like, you don't need a movie that the entire message of it is rape is bad. You shouldn't rape. I wouldn't put it like that. I I feel like it was very... 
No, well, that's how it comes off of in like the trailers and stuff like that. I got you. I got you. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Like the actual movie is a lot different than what is perceived from it. But that's like kind of the message that you're going to get from it. uh, If you just watch the trailers and you're just like, that's why I didn't care to see it. Because it was like, this is just a horror movie where they're just trying to push the message that rape is bad. Like, why? that doesn't, I could care less about that kind of movie. I hear what you're saying. Yeah, where you take review suck lines like, this film is important. Everyone needs to watch this film. This has an important message. And it's like, well, let's not take that away from the fact that it's really a good movie. Right. Don't 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 look at it like it's um like it's feminism bait. You know what I mean? Like it's like it's a like it's a film that's like ultra feminist or that has an agenda. I don't think this film has an agenda at all. I feel like it's a great film that that also has a great message to it. Yeah, it's it, definitely it yeah, it's a sign of the marketing team had no idea how to market this, so they went in a completely different direction than what the movie was actually proposed as. Yeah. Um, yeah, Every I think everything works in this film. The countdown works of uh, as she goes through victim after victim and, you know, um, uh, poses revenge against them in some kind of way, like... As this film was going on, it kind of kept me on edge and made me feel like, okay, is she ever going to go the full mile and actually like have someone killed? How far is she willing to go for, yeah. her, for her best friend? Um, I like that the film toyed with that. I like that the, the film kind of kept us on our um, on our toes and kind of led to that ending that I just I, I kind of halfway despise. But we'll we'll get to that. So Bo Burnham. Dude, I feel like he's great in this movie because he, you know, he's such a good guy. You know, we're like, okay, this is a great guy for her, mm-hmm. you know. But then a little bit of that, um, you know, um, how do I put this? Uh, is it a facade in the end or is it just he was around something that was horrible, but he tried to block it out of his mind? So to her eyes, it's like he's not different from the rest of them. Or do you think it's a facade in the end? I don't think it's really a facade. Uh, I think it was kind of, as he said, he was in college. He was at a party drunk. Something terrible was happening at that party, but he wasn't a part of it. He wasn't advocating for it or anything like that. Like it's his voice in the background of a video and it's not like he's cheering it on or doing anything like that. Uh, it's somebody going, hey, Ryan, you know, look at this. And him just going, what are you doing filming, man? And that's like the entirety of his part in that. Right. So uh, he probably blocked that out, like just being drunk and everything like that. I didn't see him as a bad person because of it. Um, right. Me at, neither. at least at that point. Uh, it kind of changes a little bit where they kind of seem to take a turn where they were like, no, no, we got to make him be like a bad guy now. Uh, because up until that point, he's fantastic. Like even when, uh, you know, he comes back to the coffee shop for the second time is like, I think you gave me a wrong number. Uh, cause I, I spent like an hour writing out this elaborate text to ask you out and everything like that. And, uh, <laughs> This guy in, like, an oil rig responded back. And in, like, true Bo Burnham-like fashion, I have a feeling that right. a lot of that was ad-libbed by him because that's totally Bo Burnham's humor it is. in it that is scene. Humor. And, but, you know, we're not... It, it, 
you know, we, we thought about it for a bit, but uh, it's not going to work out, you know, because of the whole oil rig thing. <laughs> right, right. I feel like the film doesn't put him as a bad guy, but it doesn't keep him as a good guy either. It leaves him in a gray area. I think during I the beginning, it's definitely pushing him as a good guy. In the, yeah, in the beginning, but I'm talking about towards the end. I don't think oh, they yeah. make him as the bad guy. They just leave him in a gray area. I don't know. I think they kind of try and push him as a bad guy toward the end. Uh, Maybe. Because uh, I guess, do we care about spoilers on this one? Dude, we've been spoiling every movie up to this point. That's like, true. This, this, this is what this show is. Yeah. I mean, this is what we are. So, but yeah, so after uh, Cassandra goes missing and he knows exactly where she was and everything like that, uh, the scene where he's talking to the police and he's not giving them any information, like I can oh, understand yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah, I can understand at the very exactly. beginning when the police arrive and because the last time he saw her, she was threatening to release this video of uh, the rape of her friend that she got. Mm-hmm. And it, I can understand that he's hesitant to talk to the police because as far as he knows, she released that video or sent it to the police. And the police are now there to question him about that. And it's like, he doesn't want anything to do with that. Like he's, right. you know, so I get his hesitation, but then when they go, she's missing and he, he kind of, said he should have said something at that point. Yeah. That's where I think I they turned him to try and be a villain, and it didn't fall into his character from the rest of the movie when they turned that on him. I don't think he's the villain. I think the villain is the person that killed her. Right. But, um, but he, he's not on the good side anymore. Right. Yeah, they definitely started putting him as, you know, just another one of these people that, you know, instead of being... Oh yeah, he was a person put in a bad situation because of this, but he's still a good person deep down. He doesn't have any, you know, hatred for Cassie still in everything like that. Uh, it's mostly he was just in a bad position, and yeah, she hates him for that, and that's how it is. I'm gonna say it, man. The only thing that kept me from giving this film a five is that I, I just felt there was no need to kill her. Right. Like, there, like, it did not need to end like that. And I get that part of my anger, you could argue, if you were Emerald Fennel, that part of my anger is the point. Like, oh, you're angry. Good. Like, that's what this kind of, that's what this film is trying to say. You should be as angry as she was. Okay, fine. But I just... Listen, even the revenge thing at the end where all the cops come and she sent the video to everybody, like, I felt like... Yeah, but she's still dead, though. Like, does she need to die? I don't feel like she needed to die. Do you? I don't think so. I think there's plenty of ways that that could have played out without her dying. And uh, I will say his best man, um, I can't remember what his name is that uh, played him. but. He's from New Girl. Yeah, the guy from New Girl. He totally fell into the New Girl role when he like went upstairs. Why is there a dead stripper in your bed? Why is the stripper dead? Why did you kill right. the stripper? And it's just like, that is 100% channeling that New Girl energy from when he was on that show. Oh, yeah. He was definitely levity of the film. He was he was definitely played for comedic effect. Him yeah. and the dude from, um, what's that one show that was on Comedy Central, Detroiters? Um, the black dude. Oh. I don't. I don't Yes. Yeah. She was like, uh, he was taking her out 
because she was like, you know, doing one of her um, performances, her jump performances. And he was like, do you even know her name? Yeah, it's Amy. She's like, no, it's not my name. <laughs> and he kind of, didn't he like keep making choices and she kept just shutting him down like, no, that's not my name. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, I love that. Uh, the other one is when he was walking out or when she was walking out of the club with somebody and when Ryan ends up coming across them. And yeah, that's the scene. That's the scene I was talking about. Oh, that's the yeah, one? Oh, yeah. Where he was like, you even know her name? He says, yeah, it's uh, the, the Amy. Now, Jennifer. He, he said yeah. something that started with a C because she went, well, it's close. <laughs> right. Sam Richardson, that's his name. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely a great... I, I love those kind of little scenes throughout it. Uh, but yeah, it. I think there's a point where it comes off like she was kind of playing Ryan a little bit and not like keying him into what she's doing and kind of like lying to him about things and stuff. So they try and like push her off as a sympathetic person, but at the same time, she was a terrible person to people that were being good to her at the same time, like her parents and everything like her parents. How was she terrible to them? Uh, she just lied to them. She would disappear on them and stuff like that. It's even mentioned by uh, her father. Like at the end, she she always comes back. She always comes back. Would you have let them know what's going on if you were in her position? If I was in her position of being like, yeah, I'm trying to like seduce men until they try and like sexually advance on me by acting drunk. Probably they would not. tell you not to do it. Yeah, they would tell you not to do it. Um, I don't think she was mean to them at all. I think she loved her parents, but I think for the sake of her sanity and her mission, she just didn't let them know what was going on. Yeah, but at the same time, it's it leads to a lot of lies and a lot of mistrust between them as a result. Mm-hmm. And they they try and like push her like push her character as being like this perfect person and stuff like that, and it's. And I don't really well, no, she, like that perfect. at all. I don't even think the film tries to make her perfect. They know she's 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 damaged and she's emotionally tortured by the death of her friend and not being able to do anything. She's not perfect at all. Well, I don't even think they the try and push her as very sympathetic, I guess, when she's doing terrible things. Like, not saying that uh, the people that she was doing this stuff, like, didn't deserve it at all. They absolutely did. They're terrible people. But then pushing her as, like, some sympathetic character because she's doing this. It was a weird kind of vibe that they were giving it to me. I think think she's a flawed hero. I think she's a rightfully flawed hero. I think her flaws are real. And I think think she's an imperfect hero. Yeah. um, Yeah, I don't... I didn't really have a problem with Cassie's character, um, but I gotta say that ending really it re- it really brought it down half a point to me. Yeah, it would have been a solid five if it wasn't for that ending. I like I don't know how as a screenwriter, the first thing you want to do is that okay, it should end with Cassie killing Ryan. No, no, it should end with Cassie killing the guy that that raped her friend. But then that would, something like that would be a little bit too easy. So where do you go from there? But I expected something big to happen in that final scene in that bed besides him killing her. Right. Well, I'm like that. Especially know? because she has this video and everything like that at that point. And it's like, right. I expected that to come into play at the party somewhere. 
right. where it to be like, you know, her tying him up and everything like that. And then playing the video in front of him and going, oh, by the way, I sent this to your wife and everybody, you know, there you go. That would have been perfect doing this, you know, so have fun. Oh, by the way, all your frat bros downstairs uh, they've been roofied, so you're going to be up here alone for a while thinking about this and just putting the phone down and playing it on repeat. So he just has to go through that the entire that time. Perfect. That would have been perfect. Yeah, I so love that. There's other ways that this could have ended that would have been better and felt like more in line with her goals overall. Because yeah. it, then he has like this entire night to think about how everybody around him now knows this and mm-hmm. he's stuck living that for the rest of the night kind of thing and she still walks away getting what she wanted and then that would be her revenge on ryan as well because obviously he's in the video he would have gotten caught up in that same for every other person that's in that video and yeah it, it would have been great to have it kind of end like that because as it is uh the video's out there we don't know what happened to everybody else aside from al who gets arrested Mm -hmm. but uh yeah so the ending leaves some to be desired and i didn't like that like perfectly timed like scheduled text kind of thing of it's not over and then it's you see the triple dots as if she's writing it's like that's not how first off scheduled texts aren't a thing like that second off that's not how it works right. and the timing would not have been that precise on that kind of thing like it threw my I can forgive that <laughs> i can forgive that i'm like i'm like okay it's a movie i can forgive that Eh, that that one's where it, it threw my IT brain in, and I was just like, oh, yeah, "No, you're, you're a tech guy. No, <laughs> you're not going for that. You're like, nah, that ain't nah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because of that ending, I give it a four or five, four point five. Yeah, this this is. I'd give this one a four. Personally, okay. I think this is a four out of five. It's it's a good movie. It has a little bit of lackluster ending, and it just... But it's a good movie up until then. Uh, My other gripe with it is it's labeled as a horror movie, and there was nothing... Really? Yeah, this is a horror movie. I I see it as thriller everywhere I look. Um, Here, let me see. Because I'm pretty sure... Because that originally surprised me that it made it on... uh, the Oscars, because horrors and even thrillers, for the most part, don't really make it onto the Oscars. Mm-hmm. But well, yeah, from I remember getting a lot of praise was The Exorcist. Yeah, like as far as making it to the Oscars, I mean. So, but yeah, I saw this one. Maybe it was just another bad marketing thing, but it, it everywhere that I saw this, it was like a horror movie, is what people were saying. And when I was watching, I was like, this isn't a... I would even put it loosely as a thriller movie. Loosely. Yeah, loosely. Um, Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, All right, moving on. So this next one here, this will will be the last one, because we already reviewed Make in Chicago 7, uh, Minari. Um, So just to give a brief synopsis of this. So this is about um, set in the 80s. This is about a uh, family of South Korean immigrants who um, you know, they moved to a rural part of America 
it's about assimilation. It's about immigration. It's about them just trying to like find their way. Dude, I don't know if I need to watch this again, but I, I truly feel like this film has all the right ticks, great performances, great concept. Also deals with a certain kind of um, pastime of America. But I felt like this was just okay to me. Like, I, I don't know if I need to watch this again. Did I miss something? Uh, I'm I'm probably not going to say that you missed anything because it's... So it does star Stephen Yun and his family kind of immigrating from a big city. I don't think they really say which big city, but they originally met in Korea and they came to the United States to kind of get the American dream. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they moved to a big city and that's where his wife uh, really liked it there. They, She saw them as having everything in the big city. But uh, Stephen Young's character wanted to move to be able to like be in a more rural area, like to make a garden or a farm, right? And yeah. kind of create his own dream, his own American dream. He didn't want to just live in being okay. He wanted to be able to live in success. And I um I like the conflicting dynamic between him and his wife. You know, his wife just wants to. She wants to be comfortable. You know what I mean? She wants she wants to be comfortable. She wants to have something that's assured. Her husband, who is driven by ambition, he wants to take risks. You know, mm. he says he, he wants it to work no matter what. And I like that conflict they have between them. But I feel like this movie, again, Stephen Yoon is a he's a great lead in this film. He gives he gives a great performance. Um, the woman that plays the grandmother, Yoon Young Jung, she's pretty great. Um, I remember a joke you said. You said, man, Steven Yoon in the middle of a farm. I'm expecting some zombies to pop out. Yeah, that's that's one of the sad things is like when you have an actor that I have so stapled in my head for a single role, as soon as you put them in anything else, I just continually see them as that role. And I'm like, but when are the zombies going to show up? Because there's Glenn and he's on a farm. But where are the right. zombies? <laughs> I hear you. I've seen him in some other stuff too. He gave a pretty good performance in this one movie called Burning. Um, but um, I say all that to say, you know, I like this film. I I like the characters in it. I love the the young boy is pretty cool too. Um, Will Patton is a, is a, is a nice supporting role in this film too. He plays the guy that's like the the religious friend. Oh, the conspiracy. Yeah. Okay. Or I wouldn't say conspiracy. He's just very heavily religious. Yeah, he's just heavily religious. But he's a good friend. Like, there's a whole bunch of humane characters in this film, but I feel like it just it, it doesn't add up to much to me. There's great moments in it, but overall, I just feel like... See, I, I, I look at this the same as Nomadland. I was going to say, uh, this is kind of the same as Nomadland, where you're watching people just live their life. There's not really conflict... There's more conflict in this than there was in Nomadland. I'll say that. But it's not yeah. conflict that makes you go, ooh, I wonder what's going to happen next. It's conflict of just, I, I guess this is something that's going on now. You know, like his, him fighting with his wife about the house. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't really feel like conflict because you know that there's not going to be any resolution outside of they're going to stay at the house. You know, you know yeah. they're not going to just leave. Uh, then when, you know... 
he starts having the trouble with the water and he shuts it off because they can't pay for it anymore. And it's like, yeah, there's conflict there, but you know what's going to happen is he's going to have to turn the water back on. You know? I'm okay with I'm okay with a meandering plot as long as the meandering plot is intriguing. Yeah. Like it, 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 there was a certain point in this film where it started off like, okay, I'm this looks to be great. You know, uh, Asian family coming to America. I want to see what kind of co- conflicts they run into what kind of challenges they overcome, like how they how they stay as a tight unit. And after a while, I'm like, okay, they're, they're still getting they're still getting used to things. But what's the big moment here? Then the grandmother comes, and I'm like, okay, we're getting somewhere. She's funny. We're mm-hmm. we're, we're reaching somewhere. Then it's like, all right, some more downtime. You know, kid. <laughs> you know, the kid pisses in in in, in the cup. Yes. You know, <laughs> you know, you know. It's kind of a, kind of a funny scene. And then it, things kind of go down the lackluster again. Then they kind of pop back up when the grandmother, you know, um, you know, get, gets uh, gets a little bit more close to the young boy and, you know, has a stroke. And then we go down again. It's like this film is full of great moments, but as a whole, it's just OK. Yeah, there's there's certain scenes that I remember and yeah. I couldn't tell you anything that happens between these scenes. And there's only one line that stuck with me. And it's not even because it stuck with me because it's a great line, but it was kind of that, aha, that's where the name of the movie's coming from. And that's where uh, they're in like the kind of swampland area. And the grandma's Mm -hmm. like, Minari, it's it's a great plant. It uh, it's like a weed. It'll be able to survive and grow anywhere. You can take it wherever you want. It'll always find a way to live. And it's like, ah, that's that's why they went with Minari as the title. there's the message. You know, and again, that's great. You know, that that's a great line. Um, I wouldn't Minari even say it's like, a great line. It's, it only sticks out because the name of the movie is Minari. If the mo- name of the movie wasn't Minari, I would have forgotten <laughs> that line entirely. Well, it's not about forget. It's not about remembering or forgetting it. It's like, does it fit to what the film is trying to say? And I feel like I'll, I'll give it to him on that one because yeah. again, it, it explain not only explains the title, it explains the theme. You know, you can you can it can grow anywhere, live anywhere, just like they should. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they'll I, always I, find I, a way to survive no matter where they are. Big city, rural farm area. Right. If they go somewhere else, they're gonna find a way to survive. I don't know if this film. I don't. This film wasn't made for me. I'll say it like that. I don't think this film was made for me, and that's fine. You can you can fall in love with movies that aren't made for you, um, but I feel like I don't know. I feel like I, I might need to give this another shot because I, at some point I was a little distracted, but then I well to be fair, I rewound the parts that I was distracted on, and this movie has quiet good. This movie has good quiet moments in it too, especially with Stephen Yoon, like. Mm-hmm. I remember there's a scene where I think the religious man that came at some point to um to tend to the grandma or something and he was praying over the house and Stephen Yoon is just sitting in the chair just kinda angry at just nothing is going right. Mm-hmm. And he's and his friend is going over there praying to him and he's like, I'll see you tomorrow. I'll see you tomorrow. Just come early tomorrow. Like you can get you can We got a lot of work to do tomorrow. Come tomorrow because right. it's like the fear of failing. Like he's not right. doing enough, so he's like, I gotta overcompensate. You feel his frustration, and I like quiet moments like that. But I'm like, they don't make the whole. Yeah. Yeah, I. 
I'm, I'm going to give this a second watch one day, man. I feel like I knew, need to give it a second watch because I really feel like when people saw The Phantom Menace and they were like, did I did I miss something? <laughs> did, did I, this is a good movie, right? Like, this is Star Wars. I, I missed something, right? This was supposed to be good. Everybody was saying this was good. Yeah, I'm going to clap at the credits. <laughs> this is A24, right? I'm missing something, right? Yeah. I don't know, man. I, it, I give it a 3.5. Uh, this one's a three out of five for me. It's, I, uh, I think the one thing that, because kind of comparing it to Nomad Land, uh, Nomad Land, if I can actually speak properly, is <laughs> this movie doesn't do a good job of show and tell, or a show instead of tell. It mostly tells you what's going on, uh, and. So for a lot of like, there are a couple scenes where you can like see him getting frustrated that nothing's working and everything like that. But for the most part, uh, the movie constantly goes, you know, instead of being uh, that the little boy can't run, they constantly remind you why he can't run. You know, every single time something's happening with him, it's, oh, your heart, your heart. And it's like, we get it. He he has like a heart problem going on. You don't need to remind me every time he's doing something. <laughs> uh, I, I feel like they only mentioned it like twice, didn't they? Uh, no, like, they mentioned it a whole lot more than that. <laughs> maybe I, I, again, maybe I need to watch it again. Like I knew something was going on with his heart, but I just remember one scene where they were like, um, oh yeah, you know, his heart is such and such and such and such. And then I said, oh, okay. That's why I, that's why I keep telling the kid not to run. Yeah. Um, I didn't know they kept mentioning it. They kept mentioning his heart like almost constantly throughout the movie. And then there was also uh, with him not liking the grandma. It's just all constantly like you see the scenes like with him peeing in the cup. Hilarious. Love it. It it kind of shows how he feels toward her and everything like that. And it kind of made sense kind of made sense why he didn't like her you know oh yeah she's a she's a stranger to she's him she's a stranger you know? that he's yeah. being told you need to love this person even though they're a right. complete stranger to him it, so it makes sense but at the same time they constantly like tell you need to be nicer to grandma you need to be nicer to grandma you need to be nicer to grandma you should love grandma you need to be nicer to grandma and the amount of times that his mom says that instead of doing something kind of to you know, progress the plot a little bit more is so annoying. And that's where my faults in this movie come is it's the same dialogue repeated over and over and over. And then again, and then over. I feel like you're being a little, a little harsh. I don't, <laughs> I, they, I feel like, I feel like it's a respectable amount of times that the mother and father say, Hey, be nice to her. Like I, I didn't feel like it was overbearing. Like, I feel like realistically, if you had a kid and you wanted them to be nice to grandma, you would say it as many times as they did. Um, I, feel like you're, you're, I feel like you're nitpicking a little bit with this movie. I don't think it was I, that, I could that be. annoying. I, I'm yeah. not going to say that I'm definitely not, but it's just this is what was going through my head when I was watching the movie and why I didn't enjoy it as much as possibly other people did. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, I... Yeah, I'll be fair to it. It's not a because it's not a bad movie by any means. None of these films are bad. Um, it's just on a t- it's just on a scale of how great is it. 
And I feel like this film, respectively, in my opinion, is a three and a half. You know, it, it, it's, it is a unique take on something from the past, an experience, an asserted kind of experience from the past. And there is an authenticity to it. Like, I know the writer-director of this, his name is Lee Isaac Chung. I know this is semi-autobiographical to him. And you can mm-hmm. feel that through the film. That doesn't mean that every, well, I'll be fair. I was going to say it doesn't mean that every autobiographical story isn't interesting enough for a film. But I feel like this this is this is intriguing. This is interesting. Um, yeah. I, I'm not yeah. by any means saying that this is a bad movie. No, no, it's I just know. I know. not is interesting like there's definitely more to say to complain about the movie than there is to praise it sadly to me because the praising moments are just little scenes that come off as really wholesome and they're far and in between yeah and those scenes are great i i love those scenes uh like when he's told to go outside and get a stick and he comes back with like <laughs> the what was it it was like almost like a blade of wheat <laughs> I think it was, yeah i think it was like a blade of grass or something <laughs> yeah of tall grass and it's just like oh i love that like those kind of scenes i absolutely loved but there's just a whole lot of nothing and repeated dialogue that happens in between those scenes that kind of bogs Ooh. it down to me what was the point of fire at the end i i did not get that like like i so what the the grandma was just like like looking around and had accidentally made one or did I miss something? Uh no, she was burning the trash. So oh, she okay. was burning the trash and then it ended up getting uh out of it and she was trying to put it out and then because the land was dry because they hadn't been watering it, uh it just spread really quickly and got to their shed where they were storing all their vegetables. Yeah. And okay. Yeah, I get that that brings up some conflict and everything like that, but I'll be honest, I kind of saw that coming as soon as they left and she was like on her own there and she was in the state she was in. I was like, she's going to do something. I don't know what, but she's going to do something and it's going to destroy the house or it's going to destroy the farm in some way or something else. And when she started burning the trash, I was like, okay, she's going to burn down the house. That's... That's how this is going to end, you know. I'll say this, man. Um, music score wise, Emily Musery. This, this film has a pretty good music score because I think one of these films had a great music score. I think, well, Nomadland was pretty good too, but I feel like this and Nomadland, uh, the seven on this list, um, the the music was pretty good. Like uh, the music was good in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, overall, it's it's I it's I. Uh, I don't think it deserved all the hype it got, but who knows? Um, okay, so I can see this one. This one probably falls more into Oscar bait to me than some of the other ones. I don't even see this as bait. I feel like this is the film that was meant to be what it is, and it just fell into having Oscar awareness with it. Like if this film was made and it had no Oscar buzz behind it, I still feel like it was the film it was meant to be. Really. Yeah, I don't. I don't see this as an Oscar bait movie. I think this is one of those films that becomes bait when people put it into that category. Like Promising Young Woman is not Oscar bait. No, I would never count that, that as Oscar bait. Right, but it was put into that category from critics talking about it and saying this is an important movie. You know, okay. Minari. Minari is an important movie. 
it was put into the bait. You get what I'm saying? Maybe it kind of feels that way because it, it didn't really stick with me as much, and it is another yeah. Oscar kind of nomination. Listen to me. I don't know if it was Fincher's intention, but Mank is Oscar bait. Uh, Mank is 100% Oscar bait. I think it we even Oscar. said that when we were watching it the first time, is this movie is definitely getting into the Oscars because it's it, it's baited to be in the Oscars. Look, man, again, Aaron Sorkin. I like Sorkin, but... Charlie Chicago 7 is, 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 is wrapped up in so much sorkinness. How can you not call that film Oscar bait? I don't know. Would you consider his other movies Oscar bait, though? Molly's Game is not Oscar bait to me. Um, that movie is not Oscar bait to me. I feel like Social Network is good Oscar bait. Yes. It's good Oscar bait. Uh, Social Oscar Network, bait. I will give you, is Oscar bait. Yeah, but it's good Oscar bait. Charlie Chicago 7, like... The fact that Spielberg was supposed to direct that movie, like, come on. Come on. I I can... I can kind of give that one to you a little bit because, yeah, but it definitely moved away from, like, the typical Oscar bait kind of stuff where it is a very entertaining movie for, like, a standard audience. Do you feel like there's any films in this list that don't belong um in this list in be- in the best picture knobs list do you feel like there's any films that don't really belong here um i would probably say promising young woman is probably the one that i'm most surprised made it into this okay that's fair that's fair uh, i would say not saying that's a bad movie but it just doesn't right, right, feel right. like best picture it doesn't feel like best picture um i say judas and minari Minari, uh, like, again, I feel like critics put Minari in the buzz. They yeah. put it in the buzz. If I had watched this without knowing anything about the Oscars, I'd be like, okay, solid movie. I don't, I don't see that getting nominated, but, you know, solid movie. Yeah, Judas I can say I probably wouldn't Messiah. have thought a second time about Minari if I had seen it without Oscars being behind it. Right. Like, Judas and the Black Messiah, from an acting standpoint, I could see it getting nominated. From a best picture standpoint, I'm like, I, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have pictured that. Uh, that I can agree with. It definitely for best actor and supporting actor, it definitely deserved being in that spot. Uh, best picture, yeah, I could see that one kind of being an odd place for it to be. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna just say it before you say it. I think Sound of Metal should have won. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that was pretty clear from my opinion earlier that Sound yeah, of Metal like- should have the, the cinematography, the sound design, the plot, the act. The, it's the originality. Yeah, it it's a perfect movie. I love that movie so much. It's at the top of my movie list going forward. Yeah, not not to say Nomadland wasn't original. It was original. Yeah, um, I just think Sound of Metal, like that was the out of this list, that's the clear winner to me. Yeah, it's um, it, that was like a hands like typically with like the Oscars, you have like two movies that you're like, if either of these win, I'd be happy. And but this one, it was just it was so clear to me that Sound of Metal should have won. I think the least one. The one that least belongs or was the, the least favorite, it, it's a toss-up to me between, well, no, it's not a toss-up. I'd say 
I, I put Chicago Seven one inch below Minari. Really? One inch. You really didn't like, like Trial of the Chicago Seven, did you? <laughs> no, I did, but it just felt like such a it's such a Sorkin movie, and I mean that in a bad way. Like it, it's I like Sorkin for his storytelling and his writing, but I feel like it was just so left wing politics being thrown at you. And like you said, there were even some characters in there that were a little bit more blurry in real life, made to seem like, you know, great people. Right. Yeah. Like, I feel like it's preachy. It's a preachy movie. It, it is a very preachy movie. Uh, but sometimes those preachy movies do end up doing very well. Uh, yeah. So like uh, huh? Black Klansman, I think that's a very preachy movie, but I think it does it really well kind of thing yeah i feel like it's just my personal my personal least favorite on the list like um i i put it there what's your uh what's your personal least favorite on the list uh my personal least favorite on the list i would probably put as minari i think that's the only one that i really couldn't get into in any regard uh i think aside from that I'm going to say what you said to me. You really didn't like Minari, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Um, I think that caps it, man. We've been talking for about like 90 minutes. Yeah. All right, y'all. Thanks for hanging out with us this long. Uh, we'll catch you on the next one.